0: I have, fortunately, the opportunity to have lots of conversations. At Southwestern Advantage, our average age is between 18 and 25. Mm. And you know, psychologically, that is where most people make their decision of what they believe, work ethic, whether the world owes them something Mm. or whether they're going to work and earn their living. And they psychologically form a lot Mm. of things during that time. So I have a lot of conversations about faith with Mm. folks. You talk about faith a lot. It's interesting when people lose faith. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people with the coronavirus and wanting to blame Mm. things, blame God. If somebody lost a loved one and they lose faith because they think God did something. What is your thought currently of what is going on in the world where someone would stop going to church or lose faith? And let me just pause there and then I have a few more questions to follow up with that.
1: So the phrase stop going to church is an interesting phrase, right? So you have to define the word church. Some define the word church as those who are followers of Christ or of God or a certain faith tradition. And some would call that attending a service on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So those are two different phrases that are often used interchangeably. So we'd have to kind of define that. And I think that's relevant to my next response, which is, I'm having lots of those conversations too. I think Barnabas, Put out a stat recently that said a third of the people who previously were attending services on a Sunday at an organized church will no longer do so post pandemic. At least that's the feedback. People are like, I didn't go and I didn't get struck by lightning. Turns out I think God still loves me and I don't have to show up at a service on a Sunday. And we're in the South, so that's even a little bit more of a predominant tradition or ritual that's baked into some of the ways of being down in the South for those who are people of faith. So I, I think all those things are interesting as you frame up this idea
0: their people of faith or their identity is to be a people of faith?
1: Well, that's a great delineation as well, right? So mm-hmm. both. Yeah. So people who attend church services tend to fit both categories. Mm-hmm. So when I interact with people who are like, hey, I stopped going, obviously, because the churches were closed. And I'm not, I haven't gone back yet, and I'm not sure where I'm going. It's usually around, some of it's the political piece, because some churches have taken hard political stances. So there's that. I've heard from quite a few people, too, that go, I actually just don't want to do the political thing. I'm bombarded with it it all the time. Is there an organized group of people called the church that gather together that actually avoid the political thing because I just want to reprieve? But if so, how? How do you navigate that thing? Because if you have masks or don't have masks, are you already kind of saying something without saying something? So this is a really interesting era for groups of people who have organized as the church. There's a lot of deconstruction going on, especially with Zoomers and millennials who are saying, I'm not sure I see the world the way my parents did. To me, the advent of the internet and the ability to access information dramatically shifted everything. When you and I were children, we had a pastor, a local pastor, maybe there was a guy on television, maybe we listened to, and maybe like an evangelist came through town. So maybe over the course of a childhood, you'd have two, three spiritual voices. But as a kid, you know, even as an adolescent, maybe you read your first Oswald Chambers or there weren't many spiritual voices. That's a great point. And they tended to come all through the same vein because they were being curated by your local church. Mm-hmm. So they just reinforced one point of view. Yeah. Up until what 20 30 years ago that was just the common experience in America. And if you really wanted to get crazy, you went to the library and tried to find some book on something, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no such thing as an internet.
0: Which I'm sure all the 12-year-old kids did.
1: Yeah, which they didn't, <laughs> right? So so your faith was very, very curated curated by probably your parents, maybe a grandparent, yep. and your local church. Yep. Highly curated, all very similar. Today's world, you're hearing, if you're 12, 14, 16, 18, you're hearing 20 different voices on a given week with all kinds of different perspectives.
0: That contrast each
1: other. And they completely contradict. Yeah. So, and I think this is one of the superpowers of these younger generations is synchronicity. They're able to take disparate thoughts of quantum physics and psychology and neurobiology and Christianity and Hinduism. Like, oh yeah, that fits there. And like, they're putting it together going, well, I think there's a lot of the same languaging. And some of that's quite beautiful. Where I'm finding people at a crisis is when they go, I've lost my faith in the system. So uh, Catholic or Protestant, or then some specific denomination. Right? Or we, we have this happening
0: in our mastermind. One of the guys grew up, I don't even know what you would call it, strict? Uh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Traditional, very conservative. Would that be fundamentalist? Baptist? Like, uh, yeah, that could so, be. Yeah, 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 Fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. Yeah. yeah
0: and uh, watching him interact with the rest of the guys about, do you guys believe this? And we're all like. I mean, no, but yes. And he's like, it's going to take me a minute. You know, yeah. and, and it's like his whole We're life. We're watching it in real time. Real time. Yeah. He's he's going through this,
1: I guess, he's a deconstructing, deconstructing. Yeah. What, what was handed to him is a faith system that now no longer makes sense. That's right. And most of that system was built around an angry God mm-hmm. who was generally Ju- displeased judge- with him.
0: Judgmental. Very judgmental. Yeah.
1: And again, I would say he was probably fed an image that's way more like Zeus than a God who's holding all things together, right? Yeah, like it, the it,
0: Old Testament.
1: Yeah, he's just you know, this God out there. Yeah. So he's having this deconstruction and going, this doesn't make sense to me. If God's this angry, how does he, he love itself? Mm-hmm. Not, these two things don't seem to... So he's working all that out in real time. He's a great example of where so many folks are. I now have in real time, I can Google any thought. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this theory of Christianity. There's this theory in Hinduism. There's this theory in, well, in becoming,
0: Islam. Uh, is it a term now, universalism?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. But that's that synchronicity, or some people would say pluralism. Yeah. Especially if you're a fundamentalist, you would be very concerned. This is a pluralistic way of looking at the world. I like synch- synchronistic because I actually think there's a benefit to it. If you got a lot of fear, you'd call it probably pluralism. If you can see the benefit, of, and I, I, I there. They're, certainly are pros and cons to the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. And most of us, our way of being, this comes from psychology, is most of us tend to swing the pendulum. If we were super fundamentalist conservatives, we tend to swing the pendulum all the way over here, like, screw all that, I'm gonna be wide open. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to come back, well, that didn't work either, because it's just another form of fundamentalism. Mm And things thing starts to swing back. And, and life is really about trying to let yeah. that thing finally... I'm, I'm going to be atheist. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah I, mean, I had that conversation three days ago with a guy. Who, hey, my dad's a pastor, my grandfather's pastor, my uncle's a pastor. I'm done with the whole thing. I'm an atheist now. Yep. I've had that one multiple times I, recently. I'll, with most atheists, I'll just say to them, well, would you agree that there's something transcendent about life? And there's something that's otherworldly or mysterious that's hard to describe. And even most atheists will go, yeah, there's something else out there. Okay, well, let's work from there. Mm-hmm. So I would call that spiritual, you whatever language you might use for it. But there's something actually beyond us. If, if you can work with that, we might have some interesting conversations about what I call spirituality, what you might call quantum theory or something else, the nature of reality. And what I discover is that a lot of times it's all different languaging, but we're talking about the same God. Mm-hmm. Or inside like religious systems, we're not talking about the same God at all. Yes. This God you're describing, I don't know him. That's right. Like, I've never experienced him. So that's what I'm experiencing in faith is there's this real deconstruction. What I'm hearing
0: you say throughout that is if it was your parents, if it was a pastor, or even these books and audios and videos people can see, people putting their faith in people seems to be at the root of a lot of the problem because people will let you down. Mm Mm-hmm. I've heard this one a lot. My dad was a deacon in the church, mm-hmm. and then he beat me, mm-hmm. and he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. That I, I bet I've heard a dozen same, times. Same, and and then that's it. That's
1: yeah. the end of the story. When we're young, an authority figure represents God to us, right? So that person is a representative of God until we grow older and we recognize our own agency, and we we're now responsible for ourselves in the world. And so it's not unusual to go through some deconstruction of some sort, anyway. But now, what to me is really interesting, and I think really fun is that there is this kind of reformation of what does it mean to be a follower of God, and and you get lots of voices that get to speak into it. And if you lead with fear and you you go, there's this one specific dogma and that there's only one way that's right. I'm sure that would be really hard for you because you'd see that as the risk of heresy. But if you don't believe that it's about dogma, but you believe it's about a relationship with God, those are two different things.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's not a belief in a belief, it's a trust in a person. Yeah, those have different energies. Yep. If it's trust in a person, God in personhood is always in this invitational place of going, "Hey, you're a child. You're my child, child of God." Our old religious languaging was "Imago Dei."
0: Mm-hmm. You're a
1: reflection of the divine. So there is something in you. You're a light of the world. Now, interestingly, again, scientifically, energetically, we're ninety nine point nine nine to the fifteenth power or something. We're an exchange of energy.
0: Our molecular structure has more energy per cell than the sun. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. So suddenly it's not just metaphorical. Mm-hmm. We actually are yeah. lights in the world. Yeah. That's the other advantage we have now is we're able to use sciences and other things to kind of come alongside this psychology and go, oh, wait, I actually can read the Bible through a different lens now mm-hmm. because of the benefit of what I have, what the internet has given us.
0: Which is the only way to understand truth. I have recently had someone I respect say, I just don't know what's true anymore and it it made me really sad mm. to go is that the world we're in right now where we don't know what's true
1: anymore it might be that they're actually in a really healthy spot but they don't know how to say it maybe what they're saying is i don't know what to believe anymore because what you could say to them is to the best of your ability tell me what you know is true tell me mm. what is true when you mm-hmm. look at your child sleeping at night describe that mhm peace serenity joy gratitude. Tell me about those. Get them moving that direction and then say, did that come from you? Is that fully from you? Or do you think that's connected to something else? I think maybe that somehow comes in me when I'm aligned in this thing, or maybe when I'm in this space. Oh, so you have to kind of be aligned with the thing. What's the thing? Could we, for a working, just for the conversation, could we use a working title, God? Yeah, okay, when I'm aligned with God, I have a, a different sense of gratitude and peace and serenity. And I'll Describe some of what's happening in you when you do that. Well, peace, love, joy, long-suffering, goodness. Oh, so the fruit of the Spirit? Mm-hmm. So that's what it is to be aligned in Christ, your, your actual true nature? Yeah, oh, so that's what's true? Yeah, so that's what it means to be in relationship with God? Notice we didn't go to dogma. We didn't recite the Nicene Creed. Yeah. Like what's true is what's deeply relational. And Mm -hmm. most people actually are more tuned into it than they know. And what's hilarious is if you
0: kept going and said what's not true, it would be judgment, shame, guilt.
1: Yes. And then you could flip open the Bible and be like, oh, yeah, it's going right there. There it is. Yeah. (laughs) So you see, what what I think people are pushing against is the pressure they feel from religious systems to conform to one system of dogma. Yeah. And they're going. It doesn't make sense to them. Uh, I would say that and a person. Yeah, and when they put all their faith in one human being, yeah. because that eventually, as you said, every human I mean, being is going to let you down.
0: A pastor is the ultimate oh, yeah. example. Yeah. Uh, I've I let in, people
1: down all the time. Yeah,
0: churches just implode from the pastor yeah. being a human. Yeah, and yeah. and then I don't know what percentage of the church loses their faith. Yeah. because the pastor did something stupid, yeah. Yeah. and it's just like, was your faith in the pastor, or was was he just a conduit that was speaking a message that was. You know, impacting you through you know what God was was saying, and,
1: and you have your finger, I think, on a systemic problem with the organized church, and it's hard to get around this. I don't have any answers. I, I grew up; my dad was a pastor. I've been in the church my whole life, so I don't have an answer to this. But I think you have your finger on something, which is go all the way back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were saying, "Yeah, but we want a king." And God's going, "Well, you got me. Nah, we want a king. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we what do we do with a king? We glorify them and then we crucify them." <laughs> Take whatever king it is. We love to say they're our greatest hero. And as soon as they do the thing we didn't like, we love to crucify them. That's what we love to do with people. Because what are we doing? We don't actually want to take ownership for our lives. We want that person to take ownership for our lives. So oftentimes spiritual leaders are making a codependent psychological deal with their congregation. I'll be your king. I'll be your godlike figure. And you can trust me. And you don't have to do the work with you and God. Mm. And then when I screw up, you can crucify me or you can be angry with me or you can point at me or whatever. So that's the unfortunate part of the system was when you keep trying to put one person in a thing. And this isn't just the church, it's in any organization. That person is going to fail. Like this is true about a CEO, right? But in a spiritual thing, it's like, well, not only are you responsible for the organization, but you're also responsible for my spiritual well-being. That adds a whole nother layer. It does. And at one level, there you're kind of set up for failure. Yep. And I think the church has a chance to reinvent itself organizationally.